Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. When I was first uh, learning how to ride a motorcycle, my friend was telling me like, hey, Brent, whatever you do, don't look where you don't want to go and don't look right in front of you, but look where you want to go. If you, if you look in front of you, you risk running into something. Obviously, if you look where you don't want to go, you're going to end up leaning and going that way. I'd love to say that I listened to him, but I learned the hard way uh, while, I was, while I was beginning there, but also recognize that there is something to be said about looking where we want to go and seeing where we're supposed to go and not getting distracted by the things in front of us. Um, last week, we started this topical series about what the church is. I lamented about the fact that I don't really know how to do topical very well, and it's hard to stay in these lanes, but we felt as a church that we needed to talk about a few things. I am not going to try and cover much of anything last week because it was so long, and I would encourage you to go back to it, and I got a lot to cover today. But I wanted to just real quickly again remind all of you, we, we brought out this idea of, of thirds that, that, that is statistically kind of showing in the church, the third that are, that are di- kind of doubling down saying like, yes, I, I want to be a part of the church. I want to do what God's asking me to do. And then the, the, the third that we're just kind of leaving, whether they were leaving to online only or going to other churches, or just leaving the church in general. And then there was this middle third that were kind of had family and friends on, on either third. And they were kind of sitting back and watching and wondering like what's going to happen with either group. Uh, again, this, what we're trying to do these, these last couple weeks is to, to speak to that middle third, not to ignore, obviously, the third that's left, like we don't have a voice with them, and that's fine. But for the third, they're like, man, this is, this is where we're at. Our, our hope is that it would, this would just be an encouragement, an affirmation of what God is doing in your heart. And for those of you that are still kind of struggling or wrestling or trying to figure out what the church is or what your role is in this time, that's, that's the group of people we're trying, to, we're trying to talk to right now. And so, so again, for those of you that are, that are like, man, I, like we, we heard from a number of you this week, which is awesome. Thank you, gospel community leaders, for giving me feedback. Um, some were like, man, this is just super encouraging. Okay, let's go harder. And others were like, we're really struggling. We need to have conversation here. And um, so we're excited to see everyone kind of working on this. Last week, we said that the church is unified. It's a place where both Yodia and Syntyche can have a place at the table, where the differences don't go away, the, the things that they wrestle with, the ideologies and these other, these other battles that they may have don't go away, but they choose instead to agree in the Lord, that, that Jesus puts us at the table, the table that we come to. And that's what we talked about. There's a ton of work that needs to happen around that discussion. Romans 14 is a really good one. You can go look at Titus 3 and see some of the discussion there. Like there's a ton of things that still need to be talked about on how to have these conversations, how to navigate these conversations within the church. But as I was looking at scripture, if you just look anywhere in the New Testament at all, you see that very beginning disagreements happen in the church. It's actually not a new thing. I don't know if you knew that. It's, it's something that's been happening since the very, very, very beginning. That means two things. The negative is um, that we will be dealing with this until Jesus comes again. The positive is, is that, is that it should show us just how important unity is to how we function in our day-to-day basis. And so we want to encourage you to keep having these conversations Find these things that you wrote down on the cards that you're struggling with. Find people that can help you point to Jesus and, and walk with it. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to involve that true companion like we talked about last week to help you navigate that conversation. 
But today, what we wanted to do is, is talk about um, really what I think is if we were kind of, if the, the unity was a difficulty, I think this is what's kind of underneath the issue of unity. And maybe it's not the, the final thing. It's not the only thing. Again, we will not be able to accomplish. Here's all the issues, but our goal is to try and display the issues and then show how we can move forward. And so I wanted to talk with you about how um, we move forward as a church. Uh, what we hear, kind of the small C extension of Jesus Christ Church here, uh, what we would like to do. And again, if you think about the, the motorcycle analogy, like the, the, the idea of looking where we are supposed to go can really help us. And so I kind of want to help us remember to look to where we're supposed to be going. Uh, if, you, if you were my kids, I'd do this thing with my kids where I'm like, hey, if, if I'm trying to tell them something that's important, we're getting ready to leave. I'm like, hey, look at me. Pay attention, look at me. And I, and, and I know that if they're not really looking at me, they're probably not listening. Every now and then they'll surprise you, right? Where they're doing something and then they say reverberate them. You're like, whoa, how'd you do that? But this is really what it comes down to is we need to remember where we're supposed to look. We're supposed to look. And you're not supposed to look at me. You're supposed to look at Jesus. And we're going to get into that. But ultimately, we need to fix our gaze, set our eyes upon what matters most. And I think by digging into that, it will help kind of frame the conversations that we're having above that we've been talking about on repeat for the last couple of years. Um, see, we've gotten stuck um, on what's right in front of us. And, and it's not, and we keep, we keep getting tripped up in multiple ways. P politics, pandemic, economics, on and on and on. Things that we may need to give our attention to at times, but we're never intended to be the primary things we focus on. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to refocus our gaze through a ton of scripture today. I'm going to go fairly quick so I don't talk forever, but um, through a ton of scripture. And hopefully at the end of this, my, our desire would be that you would leave with a fresh reminder of what we, the church, are supposed to be doing, who we are, and, and, and where we're supposed to go. And that's, that's ultimately what we're going to do. So we're going to refocus our gaze on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. It says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. This is to look away from everything else and to focus on one object. It's a continuation. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the beginner, and the perfecter, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we were talking as, as elders about this, we kept having this language of, of we, we keep, we're losing sight of Jesus. I feel like people are losing sight of Jesus, and it was like, well, what does that even mean? How do we lose sight of Jesus? Well, here we see in the scripture that there's a way in which we can run this race, where we can get in the game that he's talking about, this, this marathon that is our life in faith, where we, where we can continually keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is not only the beginner of our faith, but also the completer, the finisher of our faith. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that we need to recognize that we must be focused on. And that may seem obvious to many of you, like, well, yeah, duh, we're at a church. But, but if you think about the day in and day out practicality of your life, how often are you really thinking about Jesus? How often are you, are you, are you stopping to listen to him? How often are you allowing his words to speak to you? Really, if you think about it, I think more of us would say that we're fixated more on the things around us and we keep trying to throw Jesus into it to make sense of it as opposed to looking to Jesus and letting him speak the narrative out on how we are to do what we are supposed to do as a church. So we're to refocus our gaze on Jesus. One of the ways that we, uh, when we refocus our, G our, our gaze on Jesus, we realize that we are the church because of Jesus. And this also might sound like, well, yeah, obviously, but, but, 
But I think when people are starting to make the decisions about the church, whether it's a small C church or individual church or greater church, and as we heard about the people's disagreements in the church, I think we forget how we become a church. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22 says this, and he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, we have to understand this for a second. Those who are far off in this text were the Gentiles, the ones that weren't raised in the church. The modern day context for us is those that did not, were not raised in the church, didn't have a family point in the church, right? We were just, we were just kind of out in the world and going these things. The, those who were near in this context were the Jews, those that knew the law of God, that they were the people of God and they were in this place. And in both people groups, in both people groups, what Jesus does is he comes and speaks peace to each of them. He speaks peace to those who are near, saying, look, you may have been raised in the church. You may be an Awana champ. You may have all those things figured out, but somewhere along the way, I captivated your heart. And it was no longer what you did to make yourself right. It was what I have done for you. And to those who were far, we were living as those kind of trying to find our joy and our hope in everything but Jesus. And somewhere along the way, Jesus captivated your heart and he preached peace to you. And he brought a peace that, that surpasses all understanding into your life. And it goes on and says, so, so for through him, we both, those who are near, those who are far, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so what God has done in this text, through the, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he takes those who are near, those who are far, and he makes them a people. He makes them a people. And he says, it, it's, it's beautiful. He says, you were once aliens or strangers. Now, that's kind of lost on our modern day context. But what he's saying is you had no rights. You had no rights at all because the kingdom that you were a part of, you were just subject to it with zero rights. He says, you were once those, but now I've made you a people. And better than that, I've not only made you a people, I've made you family. And if you think about the kingdom language, the king has his people, and then he has his family. And God says, no, 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 not only are you, are my, are you my people, but you're my family. So the rights you have are there. Uh, one scholar says it this way. What the Bible just said is you and I were sojourners. We were aliens, we were strangers, and Christ, speaking peace from far and near, brought us together as his people. And then not only that, he goes on to call us not only a part of his new kingdom he has created, but he has also says that we are, not only are we, we fellow citizens with the saints, but we are members of the household of God. And he says this is done by the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, the people of God teaching the word of God built on this, and not only on this, but on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus. No aspiration other than knowing, savoring, and seeing Jesus Christ will ever hold the church together. No, no initiative, no let's, let's change things. Nothing but Jesus holds the church together. And it's nothing but Jesus that makes us the church. 
The Bible uh, talks about the church in a number of different ways. We you see the, the language of the family, the household of God, the flock, the body of Christ, the temple, the spirit, the pillar, and the foundation of truth, the bride of Christ, and much more. Jesus, the first time he mentions the word church, he doesn't use synagogue. He uses one that means assembled. So the church is a people assembled. It's not just a people, and it's not just a place. It's a people assembled in a place. It's both and. Teacher, uh, people are in this. And one of the things I think we lose sight of is we, we continually think of, and again, I don't want to dig into philosophies of ministry, but in general, what tends to happen is because we lose sight of who we are as a church, we start attacking different extensions of what his church looks like. And inevitably what ends up happening is we start thinking minimally about everything. I don't really need to be a part of a body. I don't really need to be collective. I don't need to be serving or giving or doing these things, right? Like I can just watch, watch a sermon online and call myself a part of a church. And praise God that there's an ability to do that for a season, but that is not the way we were meant to be. We are not meant to be out, scattered, and only scattered. We were scattered to be assembled. My wife and I had the summer off, which was wonderful, amazing. And, and I, when I came back, I made it a point to listen to all the podcasts. And I listened to all, we listened to all the podcasts and kind of where the church went over the summer, but I'll tell you, I was disconnected from it. I mean, I heard what was teaching, but I wasn't connected to the individuals. I wasn't connected to the people. See, gathering demonstrates that the Spirit of God is in us, and therefore we desire to be with Christ's people, both small groups, peer groups, large groups, really all groups, as one scholar said. Another theologian says it this way, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The primary way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. See, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we forget how we became a, t a church. And we start making it about the things we're doing as opposed to who we're doing them for and by the power of of. So we need to refocus our gaze on the fact that the church was brought together by Jesus. People that you might not stomach being in life with, the gospel breathes life into and God renames them and adopts them into the family of God. So if people are near and far <laughs> coming together, I think it's lost on us how difficult it must have been a Jew and a Gentile in the church together early on. But the, but the understanding of this is that Jesus is pe preaching peace to people that you completely disagree with on almost everything else. And he's making a people out of us and doing this. And he's drawing us together, bringing us to the same table. This is what God is doing. When we refocus our gaze on Jesus, we remember that following Jesus means that we must submit our entire lives to the kingdom of Jesus. I said again, when we wrote, refocus our gaze on Jesus, when we, when we fix our eyes looking to the author and perfecter of our life, not only do we remember who we are as a church and how we're there, but we also are brought into this idea where we realize that we submit our entire lives to the kingdom of Jesus and his purposes. Just a couple of verses on this. Matthew 20, 28, 
verses 18 through 20. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that there isn't anywhere or anything that isn't under the authority of Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus. He has all authority. So what does he say? So he says, then in that vein, with my authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? To observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, with with my authority, go and do this. Disciple them, but don't just disciple people into liking me. Teach them to obey, to observe all that I've commanded you. So to be a part of the kingdom of God is to submit ourselves entirely to him as king, as Lord, as primary person that has every voice into our life and what we do or don't do. It's not an option. It's not something that we can go, okay, well, I like you, Jesus, and I want you to save me, but I don't want you to be my king. There is no savior without his kingship. There is no king without him being a savior. They're one in the same. So so when we refocus our gaze on Jesus, we realize that even if we don't like it, even if it goes against our politics, even if it goes against the very fiber of who we are, we don't get to distance ourselves from submitting to Jesus and all that he commands of us through his word. We don't get to say, yeah, 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 but, yeah, 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 but. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're under his, his lordship. He is our king. This means that the person of Jesus as our king subjects us to do everything that his character and teachers, teachings tell us to do. So, so as a subject of his kingdom, you need to see more of him and less of me. As someone that bears the name of Christ, who, who has surrendered themselves to Jesus, has died to yourself, has been crucified with Christ and resurrected with Christ, you are subject. You are submitted to his ways, his teachings, and his kingdom purposes. So much so, and this is where I think it gets lost. We, we hear that and we're like, oh man, that sounds hard and really boring. Like doing everything that Jesus wants us to do doesn't that seem like it would just be like, like a lame life? Like, where's the fun, Jesus? Jesus himself in Matthew 13, 44 says, well, he's trying to describe the kingdom of heaven, which is a really fun thing. Just go into the scriptures and look up kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God and look at all the ways that we lose sight. I, I was amazed at how many ways I lost sight of the kingdom. And Jesus is trying to explain what the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of heaven really looks like. The kingdom where the church is under his rule, under his lordship, where his reign is in place. Ultimately, that we see that it's here now, but not yet completed until Jesus comes back. What does this kingdom look like? And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, then covers up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What he's saying is that all our stuff is worth forsaking for the kingdom of God. That, that I hold nothing more dear than the kingdom of God. And that's important. That's important for us to see because everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But do you live that way? As you walk in your day-to-day basis, do you live that way in your finances? Do you live that way with the time that you have? Do you live that way at work? Everything is, is, is worth forsaking for the kingdom of God. 
Because it's that valuable. It's that precious. It's that amazing. All you want is to be around it, to be in it, to own it. That's how Jesus describes it. See, his, the, the primary purpose of the kingdom of God is his purpose is not ours. His rule, not ours. Submission, not self-gratification. It has little to do with our comfort, but much to do with our joy. It's about his glory, not ours. Now, now, if you just frame this in the conversation that we started last week, well, no wonder we're struggling because we're focused on everything else that's in front of us and forgetting the kingdom of God and our purposes and what it means to be a, a, a citizen of the kingdom under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This means we ask questions, Lord, what would you do? What would you have me to do with my finances, time, family, work, politics, hobbies, or anything else? Not just trying to fit the, the Jesus that we know into those things. Here, Jesus, I'll, I'll kind of figure out how to make you work in my work life. I'll kind of figure out how to make you work in this. No, no, it's it, Jesus, how do you want me to frame my life as a subject of you where everything I do is personifying and, and showing and pushing forward the work that you have given us to do, which is making him known in our hearts and the hearts of believers around us and to those that have no hope in him yet. It means we don't try and fit Jesus into everything else. We live everything else with our eyes fixated on Jesus. See, when we refocus our gaze on Jesus, not only do we, not only do we see um, who we are as the church or what we are supposed to do with the kingdom of God, we also see the things that don't fit in the kingdom of God and we choose to rid ourselves of them. I read Hebrews 2, or Hebrews 12, 2, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about the whole faith chapter of 11, we're surrounded by all these clouds of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, a couple of things that are really important here for us to see. One is this is a race but he talks about running it in a way that takes endurance, running it in a way that forces us to, to slow down and recognize that there's a lot of leg in front of us. There's a long ways to go. We also see that it's a race that has been set before us, that God has, has, has designed the way with which we are supposed to go. We see that in Ephesians 2. He created the good works beforehand for us to do, to walk in, that we may walk in them. So there's a race. There's a way that we can run. So it's not a 400-meter dash. It's not even a, a good old marathon. It is a lifelong race that then we recognize that like, we have to gear up for that. If I said I was going to go for a run, I'm going to do a 100-yard sprint. I'm going to dress like this. You guys would say, first off, Brent, you're not going to do a 100-yard sprint. Let's be honest, okay? The second thing you'd say is, why are you wearing that? And what's brilliant is the author of Hebrews does something so wonderful here. He says, ultimately, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter or author of your faith right? But he starts with saying, gear up, get in the race, take off the hiking boots, put on the running shoes, lose the sweats, get in the race, start going. And he says, the way with which we do it is by laying down those sins and those weights that so easily ensnare us, they're a trap. The sins ones are obvious, I hope. If you're a follower of Jesus and the scripture has defined it as sin, then that is something that we are to lay down our pride, our works of the flesh that we talked about last week. If you're in gospel communities, you read through Philippians 2. We know what the sins are. 
the weights, now here's the interesting thing that the author says this this way. I think it's so beautiful. Is the weights aren't intrinsically sin. They're just things that get in the way. They can become sin. They can, how we operate in them can be sinful, but the weights are just like, I need to take my, my, my hiking boots off and put my running shoes on for this leg. Or I need to take my running shoes off and take my hiking boots on because it's a nice uphill climb today that Jesus has got me on. The weights are the things that get in the way of what Jesus is trying to do in our lives, of not only being the beginner, the founder, the author, but the completer, the perfecter of our faith. I can't help but think, is it possible that the very things we are disagreeing about, even though they may be important, are ensnaring or entangling us from doing the very thing we are supposed to be doing? sharing the gospel of Jesus to each other and those that have no hope. This is, this is, I think this is important for us to pay attention to because if, our, if, our, if, we're, if we fixed our gaze on Jesus, we're looking to the author and perfect of our faith, then we realize that we're a church, not by anything we did, but by what he's done. And we don't get to pick and choose who's at the church. He's the author of their faith and the completer of their faith as well. So if that's who we are, then we have to recognize that these things that we're doing that cause us to operate outside of the Spirit of God, and they are the works of the flesh like we talked about last week, then they must be, if they aren't intrinsically sin, they must be something that is entangling us. And what does he say? He says, lay it aside. Lay it down. Let go of it. And that, and some of you, like I said last week, that may mean that you need to just let it die and leave it alone. Some of you, you just need to put it in its proper place, well, 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 well underneath the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. When we refocus our gaze on Jesus, think about this. There is, there is no way for us to not rid ourselves of the things that aren't of him. When I, when I experience Jesus' grace in my life, I don't go, cool, I can sin more. When you experience a, an acceptance and a love that comes through Jesus Christ, not based on any of your merit, you don't try and earn it. You just recognize that you can live a part of that. When we refocus our gaze on Jesus, we seek to rid ourselves of everything that isn't about Jesus. Now, hear me on this. Please, please hear me on this, because some of you are like, well, yeah, but I can, yeah, 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 but this, and some of the disagreements were theological, and I agree, yes, 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 yes. Have these disagreements. Have these conversations. Do it like Yodia and Sintika were, 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 were commended to do while sitting at the same table. But please, please don't do it in place of the gospel. Many of us need to rid ourselves of the rhetoric that we continually give ourselves to by reading and speaking and thinking on a regular basis. We need to just pluck it out and say, Jesus, it's yours, and put Jesus right back where he belongs, at front and center in our lives. the biggest problems I think of the church is that we, instead of laying these things down, we build backpacks and carts and trailers and figure out how to carry them with us. We think of it as gear to, to be a more prepared hiker. <laughs> and we show up to a race that we're carrying a bunch of stuff that we were never meant to carry. We weren't meant to do it at all. I mean, Jesus even says in the, in the command of go, he's like, hey, hey, don't worry. I will be with you always. What a beautiful promise. That means at any moment when I'm like, uh-oh, I don't know where I'm at, he's with me. 
That means at any moment, oh, I don't know if I have what I need. He's with me. We need to rid ourselves of the things that entangle us and get back to that which matters most. And here's, here's how I know what matters most. Here, here's how I know. If you can do me this favor, if you were raised in the church, this might be a little bit harder. But if you got a story like mine where God kind of broke into your life late, late in eight years, you can remember very clearly who you were apart from Jesus and who you are because of him. But I can tell you this from my own personal story. There were many things that I was completely unsure of about Jesus, the Bible, and God. And when it came to him captivating my heart, I didn't have all those answers. I was enamored with him. And I think that's what's lost. That's what's lost. We've, we've lost the practical outworking of the gospel in our lives because we've become so numb and dull to it because it happened to us so many years ago. And we just feel like we've moved on to greater theologies and greater teachings and greater, greater social justice things. And we forget that the, all of those things are infused and planted in our hearts because of Jesus. We never move on from him. My daughter, who's seven, who, I'm going to bring her up. And trust me, I, we are messing our kids up in parenting. We are not perfect at this, okay? But please hear me on this. She had been asking to get baptized for about a year. And I always want to be the, the parent that doesn't hold back my kid forever, but also didn't want her to not know the cost of what it was. And so we were working with her and doing all these things. She ended up going to school this year, getting bullied for a while. And I remember... I was out of town and Jen was trying to talk to her and she was just getting just obliterated by this kid at school. It was, it was horrible. And so Jen's talking to her and we're, we're FaceTiming, we're on there and, and, um, and we're trying to tell her, we're like, hey, Priscilla, it's, it's okay if you're angry with this person. Like, it's okay, it hurts, it's okay if you're angry. And she just wells up and loses it in tears. She says, I'm not angry, I love her and I want her to be my friend. That's the gospel from the mouth of a seven-year-old, I'm like, she can get baptized. She gets it. Did she know the triune God? Did she understand all the other things around, in and around abortion or all these other big and important things? No, she doesn't. But she knows who Jesus is and how to live like him because of who he is in her life. And we lose sight of that. We forget that our everyday life is going to be interrupted on a regular basis because of the gospel and what it's doing to our hearts. And that means there and by that the believers around us life should be interrupted by the gospel and those that have no hope in Jesus should be interrupted by the gospel as it's outworking in our lives. We need to rid ourselves of that which entangles us and allow the gospel to be unhindered in us. Again, I'm not saying you can't have deep theological discussions. By all means, do it. But if that knowledge isn't causing you to more action, then it's just puffing up and it's going to bring about an arrogance and a pride that is going to be void of Jesus Christ's gospel in your life. When we refocus our gaze on Jesus, we remember that everything we do is about Jesus. Now again, this is, these all seem so like, everyone's like, oh yeah, duh. But, but let's be honest. Show of hands, just kidding, don't put your hands up. How many of you like to be noticed? It feels good when someone says, you did this and that was awesome. Just like it feels really horrible when someone says, you did this and that was not awesome. Everything we do, everything we do should be about Jesus. The way we work, our schools, the way we parent, everything we do should be about Jesus. Not some things, not most things, 
Not these things plus Jesus. Everything should be about Jesus. Let me give you a scripture about this. Um, Colossians 3, 1, 2 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. So since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Man, if we could just get that one right, church, I'm telling you, there'd be an amazing movement in this valley. All of three is brilliant. We're going to ask you in gospel communities to read this this week, but down in verse 17, he says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, not some things, not most things, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, it's even as I, as I read that, many of you hear that, and I go, yeah, that's neat, but it's not going to let it sink to your heart. And you're going to continue to go on and doing your things about you. And every now and then you'll do something for Jesus, and you'll be like, wow, that really felt great. And then someone will be like, you're amazing. And then you'll be like, yeah, I am, aren't I? Everything we do is to be about him. Now frame that in the conversations that you're having right now over the last two years on social media. Frame that in how you read the news. Frame that in the way that you interact with your spouse and your children. Frame that in how you go to work. And dare I say, frame that in what you do as a church. Everything we do is to be done about Jesus. Everything. Your church, the way you sing, the way you give, the way you work, the way you parent, your hobbies, your school. Guys, everything. Now that sounds exhausting, but when we remember who Jesus is and the kingdom that we're a part of and that he's the one that gives us the power to do so through his Holy Spirit, like we, we, why, why be nervous? <laughs> Why be fearful of what's coming? Because I know who I'm about. You know, next week we have our Serve the City. And the whole reason for Serve the City was never so we could check a box and be like, cool, we did something for someone else. The entire purpose behind Serve the City was, man, what could a group, an assembled group of people do to be the hands and feet of Jesus for a community that were around, where people don't go, oh, I love that church. They go, I love that God. And so we have a serve the city. So I, I plead with you, I beg with you, find a way to be the hands and feet of Jesus this next two weeks before we gather again. Not because I told you to, but because everything we do is to be about him and we're giving you space to say, hey, go be the hands and feet of Jesus through a nonprofit, through your neighbors, whatever you can do so that when people see it, they don't go, hey, what church do you go to? It's fine if they say that, but ultimately you need to point them back to Jesus, not the church. Because the church is about Jesus. And people, if we as a church misconstrue those two things, well, obviously others will too. When we refocus our gaze on Jesus for the next one, we remember something, and this one must be important. We must look farther out. See, I think this is the problem with us right now, is even if we're striving to look at Jesus, we're looking at Jesus right now, today, which is good. It's good to look at that. But then when we start looking towards the future in anything else, hear me on this, in our politics, in our economics, in our health, what happens? We start getting fearful because it's so unknown. 
And when we fix our gaze on Jesus, it forces us to look beyond that further to the fact that his kingdom is coming. We need to keep our, our, our eyes fixated on the fact that this world as we know it, all these things will go away and his kingdom will be all that stands. Everything that you are pouring your life into that has a part of doing this world will go away. We need to fix our gaze further out. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What is this telling us? This means that, that even though Jesus has come, and he has died, and he has resurrected, and he's gone, he's coming back. And when he comes back, guys, guess what? That's when the wedding feast that we've been talking about happens. No more tears, no more brokenness, no more dissension, no more div- divisiveness. Perfect unity and harmony achieved because our king has taken his rightful place and his kingdom has come to full fruition. This is another reason why we're in so much trouble right now is we aren't looking that far out. And if we are, we're trying to be like, is it happening now? Jesus said, I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe we can just let that one go. And instead, do what Jesus said, be prepared, be ready, be ready for it. What does that mean? Get in the race and start running the race that he has set before you laying down the things which entangle you, the weights and the sins that so easily ensnare and trap you, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus the whole time. Get in the race. Run. He will come again. Look, God has not broken one of his promises yet. There is no one more trustworthy than him. And so when he tells you he will come again, we must live our lives today with that being a reality, a truth that we hope in, that we look to, so that when a more close-range reality future of, oh no, what will happen in our politics? Oh no, what will happen in our economics? Oh no, what will happen in our health? All those fears can go away because we know that no matter what happens, he's coming again. Guys, that should, that should light a fire underneath our feet. That should get us excited about doing everything for Jesus because he's coming again. He also speaks graciously and wonderfully through his word about how we are to live in this world until he does. And he says this promise, this is the one, I didn't want to hit a million of them because of time. But in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now pause on that. This last two years have been strange, right? How many of us were surprised? I I was. I was surprised. You say, no, 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 don't don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when it's hard, when trials, all kinds of difficulties come at you that you had nothing to do with. That's what this word is right here. These trials are coming at you, not because of your own sinfulness, but because of just this broken world. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Listen to that. Church, hear me on this. If it's really hard for you right now, rejoice because you're getting to share in Christ's sufferings. And as those who share in Christ's sufferings, we get to share in his glory as well. That's a beautiful promise for us. Is your life 
marked by furthering the gospel in your own heart? Do you, do you, do you live your day every day going, I want that gospel to penetrate even more and more and more in me? I want the good news of Jesus, who he is, to hit me harder and harder every day, and I want my life to look more and more and more like him. And then is your life marked not only by that, but by the believers or the church around you, are they being compelled to go deeper in the gospel because of the way your life is being moved by the gospel? As long as it is today, encourage one another, admonish one another. Are we doing that, church? And then as we let the gospel penetrate our hearts and mark by that, is your life also marked by those that don't know Jesus coming in contact with him when they see you? If, if any three of those are missing, if you don't see yourself being deepened in your faith further to the gospel, you don't see your relationships in the church, whether it's at the gospel community at the greater level or in the small group or in these things or segregated or not segregated, when you're around other believers, if you don't see the gospel being moved forward and you just see conversations that have little to do with the gospel moving forward, then there's something off. And please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. This is what the Lord has convicted me personally of. If there are people around you that don't know Jesus and they do not see an iota, a hint, or even a smell of Jesus in your life, something's off. Church, we can do better. We can do better. It takes us refixing our gaze, refocusing our gaze on Jesus and saying, I'm about you, Jesus. And when, when other believers come around us and they have these heartfelt conversations, like that's a great conversation, let's talk about that, but let's also dig into what the gospel's doing in this. Let's dig into how the person and the work of Jesus Christ is compelling you to live in a way that is completely contrary to what this world would expect from you. Is your life marked by this? See, when I take my eyes off of him, I tend to spend more time in my life talking about anything but him, living for anything but him. And I know this is true of you too. And then what ends up happening is pretty soon I realize that my joy is gone, my hope is lost, and I'd rather find people who agree with me on these other things than submit myself to the painful process of being needed to be repenting to Jesus Christ and what I have done that is not of him. See, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, guys, everything goes wrong. And I think this may be a gross oversimplification, but I believe it's absolutely true to some extent. This is where we've gone wrong. It's not that we haven't lost unity. That is an aspect of it. It's that if you come down underneath it, it's that we have stopped gospeling each other in our actions, in our words, and instead, everything is, well, how much is this going to cost me? Mm, I don't know if I have much time. I don't know. Okay, I'll just give this much. And everything's just kind of a little bit as opposed to, it's all yours, Jesus. The practical application for us is that in the church, we live under the rule of Jesus Christ, our King, we serve his purposes. We proclaim his rightful lordship to others, seeking to bring them into submission to his rule. We do not make up our own ideas about what the church should be, but rather submit to the teaching that he has given us in his word. It is time for us to get back in the game, back in the race that your king has put you on. Get back in the race and run it like 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says. Run it as if you're going to get the prize. Run it as if there's a chance that you get first. That's how we are to run this race. Guys, the church is and always will be entirely about Jesus. Now hold that tightly and refuse to let anyone take that from us. Your life, 
My life is about Jesus. And anything else we do is, is going to vapor away. It's a mist in this vapor of this world, this time that is so short in comparison to the eternity we have with our King. Church is about Jesus. And will always be about Jesus. The band's going to come up and we're going to take communion here in a second. Um, it's a perfect way for us to fix our eyes on Jesus by remembering that he's the one that brings us to this table. Now, this is a logistical nightmare, but we put all communion at this table. And I understand that's a logistical nightmare, and so I'm going to ask you guys to personify a fruit of the Spirit called patience. <laughs> the reason why we're doing this is because I think if we have it at separate tables, as convenient as that is, I think we need to be a little bit more inconvenienced when it comes to remembering that we're at one table with Jesus, that we're about him, that he's our purpose, he's our life. And please hear me on this, guys. Please hear me on this. If you hear me talking about this and your heart is not drawn to a spot of wanting to do more for Jesus, then then ask for help because you're in danger of losing sight of all that is important to you, that the the very thing that brings you to life, the very thing that, that, that brought you to the table, don't just go, oh yeah, that's neat, okay, cool. No, where is the gospel needing to be furthered in your life? And when we come to the table, we recognize that he's the founder, he's the beginner of our faith. He's the one that's gonna perfect it. We asked you last week, we didn't take communion last week because we wanted to give you a chance to make right that which is wrong in your relationships within the bride of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are carrying unforgiveness or bitterness towards a brother, go first, be reconciled. Do as much as you can, as far as it depends on you to be at peace with someone and then come to the table and, and relish and, 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 and joyfully smile in the fact that his blood and his body was broken and spilled for you so that you can be right. And so we're gonna ask you to come to one table to grab it, to get back to your seat and we'll lead us through it in a second. Again, I understand that's inconvenient but we wanted the picture to remind us that, that dis- despite our disagreements, despite our shortcomings, and despite just how much better we can do, we come to one table, not because of anything we are or anything that we've done, but because of who he is and who he says we are. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for... God, forgive me. Forgive me for the ways that I have not looked to Jesus. Forgive me for the times where I have allowed this world to suck out the joy that, that it has no power over. Forgive me for um, believing I can do things better than you. Oh, what pride there is, Lord. Father, forgive us as a church for the ways that um, we've allowed these traps to entangle us and not to send your gospel out, to not be your light your salt. I pray, God, as we refocus our gaze on you, I pray that we would see um, transformation in the lives of many people, where the gospel compels people to do things that make no sense, where the gospel empowers us to see the brokenness of people healed. Father, in this room, there are many people that if everyone knew their story, they'd be like, there's no way. How in the world are you following Jesus? And they would all say the same thing, because of Jesus. And so God, may we, um, I just plead, I plead, may we be a church, an assembly, an ecclesia, a place of gathering, a body, a, a temple that isn't about 
our name that isn't stuck in in selfish ambition, that isn't stuck in, in pointless arguments, but instead is um, actively commissioned, excited to see the gospel go further in our own hearts and the hearts of those around us and to those that are still walking this earth in darkness, without hope, without joy, enslaved by sin. We thank you for um, all that you've done in Jesus Christ. And God, forgive us for the ways that we made that small. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him 